Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hey, welcome to the Banners broadcast. It's Bobby Manning. Just want to let you know that you can find the Banners broadcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and the CLNS Media mobile app, and every week on Celtics Blog. If you want to send us a voicemail to appear on this program, just call 978-595-1744. Don't worry, I won't answer. Just go straight to voicemail, leave your 10-12 second comment, question, whatever you want. You'll be on the show. Enjoy. First of all, a garden, it's not. It's a train station, really. One flight up and you're on the fabled parquet floor. Now, before you get all misty-eyed about the parquet, take a closer look. Hello, by now. <laughs> Hello, Justin. Will you know us? <laughs> Welcome to the Banners broadcast here on CelticsBlog.com. Two guys with us today, filling in for the Celtics Blog crew. Good friends of Celtics Blog, a former Celtics Blog member. I'm Bobby Manning, your host. And with us is the founder and owner of CLNS Radio, Nick Gelso, and Mr. Justin Poulin, a former Celtics Blog contributor as well as the host of Celtic Stuff Live. So today, it's the middle of August. There's absolutely nothing to talk about in the Celtics realm of the world. <laughs> nothing at nothing. all. So nothing. So we're throwing in a new Unless you're a Cavs fan. Yeah. Unless you're a Cavs fan. <laughs> we're keeping a hey, close eye on Hey, who wants to talk that. about Kyrie Irving again? <laughs> you hear what LeBron That's like going to be my next three shows. It's just going to be Kyrie Irving over and over. Did you hear what LeBron said? Today, we heard from Chris Sheridan that LeBron is leaving Cleveland no matter what. But we're going to talk about that another show because today we're throwing it back in time. Another era of LeBron. We saw plenty of LeBron in this era. We're going to talk about the Doc Rivers era Celtics basketball today. Pretty much the big three era. They're kind of synonymous. There wasn't a whole lot to remember about the Doc Rivers era before the big three came together. Anything memorable, at least. It was the only time he played the young guys. That's, <laughs> yeah, right. that's all he had. <laughs> and when you say we're going back in time, are you going to play like a little Back to the Future theme song I'm for us able. on that or what? <laughs> we'll get that in there no matter what. I'm going to bust out my skateboard and my DeLorean. So the first two games that come to mind for me in this era, and you two, of course, got to see this era up front in person, many games between Justin's time in the Garden and Nick's as well. It was an interesting time. We never knew when it was going to end. 
every single year toward the end of it, it seemed like we were going to ask, is it one more year, is it one more year, and then it was over like this. And the first two ga games that come to mind for me is the last game and the championship game in 2008. We're going to start with that one because Justin was in the house, a blowout, of course. What oh, sticks out to you about that? Never, <laughs> I, we'll never I, forget. I wish I could say what sticks out about it has anything to do with Doc Rivers, but what really <laughs> sticks out is Brian Scalabrini at the podium <laughs> afterwards just uh, can I say lit? He was lit, dude. He had a <laughs> lot of champagne, and he was 100% into that post-game press conference. And uh, I remember the confetti. I remember anything is possible. And I remember that. Uh, I remember that it was long. I remember it was June 17th, 2008, because I was really bought into this whole number 17 is my lucky number, and so it was meant to be. The fact that it happened on June 17th was pretty pretty awesome. Not to mention June makes it. 617 so there you go for the Boston area code too yeah definitely mm. the celebration of that game was what stuck out everyone was going nuts you had the KG moment anything is possible Jeez. and then in the locker room after on the podium after everyone was just an absolute joy you had everyone stacked on the sidelines just ready to spill on the court in those final seconds it was like those 30 seconds then the game was never going to end and you that's, know, I that's, will how, say this. that's how a championship should be. Not every celebration's like that. That's one of the best I remember. You can knock Doc Rivers all you want, but the fact is, is that was a tight knit clubhouse. Yeah, they loved him. He loved them. And there were definitely a lot of tears flying around after that win. And the fact that it happened year one is just amazing. But I can tell you, they all respect it. That's the one thing. You can knock Doc Rivers all you want. He's a player's coach. The players loved him. And that locker room did follow suit. And I think part of it is because they were so good and the players knew what to do that Doc could kind of turn it over to them. It's not like, a macromanager. Not yeah, a micromanager at all. That's and right. It kind of took over a game of its own so many times. Like He'd just be standing there. They'd be way down in these games, and something would just click at the right moment, and it'd be right back in the game. And nothing was more evident of that. It wasn't a win, but I put it on this list just because it was so exemplary of the Doc Rivers era. It was the very last game, the game before Doc got traded, before Pierce, Garnett got traded. They went on that 20 nothing run against the Knicks. Game six, almost twisted to a game seven after being down three nothing. Nick, it wasn't a win, but it just felt like something clicked in that final few minutes right there. They just kept going and going and going. Melo got hurt. Pierce had that crazy dipsy do layup that got them to within eight, I think it was at that point with the end one. It felt like it was never going to stop. It ultimately did with that Jeff Green miss free throw and the Amon Shumpert steal. But that game, even though it was a loss, it was one of the more memorable ones of the era, being the last one, of course. Let's not forget Rondo was injured, right? Yeah. So it was a, a very tough series. And Pierce it brought me three. I mean, Pierce, Pierce was playing the point a lot. <laughs> Pierce was playing point forward, and that wasn't real fashionable then unless you were LeBron and – uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, I don't know that that was one of Doc's best coaching because it was a typical Celtics, especially that season, go down by 20 and the last five. I could hear Justin and John complaining about it on Celtic Stuff Live, you know, go down to the last 
four or five minutes of the game and then turn it on and just don't have enough in the end. But uh, kind of the, the last stand for that team, even though it was a loss and uh, it led to the Nets picks. So here we are today. Great bridge. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get into the <laughs> real top 10 list, the meat of the list, primarily constructed by Nick Gelso. We'll give him credit for that. The killer memory, the uh, photographic memory. I'll say. You're an elephant, dude. You're an elephant. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Larry might have helped me a little bit. Larry might have helped me a little bit. I'm not going to Oh, lie. there we go. Now the secret's out. So we'll start Christmas Day 2009. There's a lot of Orlando magic on this list. We're really going to yep. dive back into that old rivalry. This was when Paul Pierce was out. He had a knee infection. Tony Allen was starting in his spot. Scored 16 points. Ray Allen led the team with 18. Rondo was a monster that game. It was one of those games where he kind of just pulled everything together with his facilitation. I think he was um, 17, 13, and 8. Came away just short of the triple-double. And at this point, the Celtics went to 23-5. and five. Nick, this was one of your favorite games on the list. What yeah, stuck out about this? That was 08-09, correct? Yeah. yeah. 08-09. So before the KG injury. Yeah. Paul was out. It was Christmas Day. It was, of course, not at the Garden. Rondo loved torturing Jimmy Nelson, and I think you saw it in that in that matchup as he went for the triple double. And of course, Ray always came up. I know. Sorry, Justin. Ray always came up big in, in oh, big moments, go. and uh, and he did at that moment. And it was it was a great win for the Celtics. I think Big Baby started. Did Big Baby start? No, Big Baby didn't start. I believe yeah, it was Tony no, Allen. It was Tony? It had Allen. to be yeah, Tony. Yeah, it was T A. Yeah. Who was also really frustrating at that time, you know, because of what the two years earlier he had the knee blowout, and then he just couldn't get the ball up the court so often. He I lost his lift. Heck. That's all we talked about during that time, yeah, Nick. Remember. If you remember, it was like this guy is never going to get back to being the defender that could shut down Chauncey Billups if he just had that veteran savvy. That's what we were really kind of hoping yep. for. Was you know we we need a player, a young guy who's going to be able to go in and be a lockdown defender and probably almost two seasons and definitely a season and a half. He lost that and he lost his lateral motion and it just seemed like he wasn't ever, you thought he was going to end up just being a bust and then look at what, what he wound up having a career with Memphis. Yep. The one thing I remember about that game too was KG in the final minutes Rant landed hard on his back. And of course that came to be the season right. by Garnett's injury issues torn off the rails at the very end with him getting knocked out for the season. And that was probably the first game all year, 23-5, and five, where he kind of got knocked off his feet a little bit from the dominant stretch he was on. That led to the knee injury that led to three years of talking about uh, the gate in yeah. his defense. Remember, he had the gate in his step, right? That was many a time on Celtics Late Night Show and Celtic Stuff Live. Yeah, we're throwing it that back to the early up. days of Steel NS on this one. So yeah, man. Another one I had on here was Boston-Miami Game 5, 2012. This is getting into my era, really getting entrenched in the team. And also my era of feeling like it's over way before it actually is over. The Celtics <laughs> taking a 3-2 lead in this one. 2012 was fun. It was the lockout sure. year. Then they needed that lockout. It kept the season short for them. Mm-hmm. I think it was just over 50 games, so they were able to stay relatively healthy that season. And they went on a run at the end. They caught fire. They made it all the way to the series. It went home and home, I think, through the first four games of the series. And they go in Miami on the road. And I think what stuck out about this one for me is they took their shots defensively. I mean, Wade was going at them all game long. LeBron, they were allowing him to stand on the perimeter and shoot, and that was always a good strategy back then. But then 
the moment I always remember, and it just sits in my mind, is Pierce hitting the three in the final moments. Pierce for three. It's good. Paul Pierce from way downtown. Then Boston leads by four. And all you can mm-hmm. see is everybody in the crowd wearing all mm-hmm. white with a look of agony on their face. Iconic picture. Oh, it's an yeah. iconic picture. It's like the Manny, the Manny home run against uh, Anaheim. It's one of the great photos in Boston history, even though the ending isn't so great. But that's kind of Boston. <laughs> you so thought that that locked up the series. Oh, there yeah. was no way in your brain that you thought that they were going to lose that in Boston. Like this was, that was the clincher for that series in most of our minds. And then of course LeBron did LeBron. And, and really that's when, that's when the, when the torch was fully passed. I mean that, like you said, Bobby, that's when you knew it was kind of over that the era wasn't going to make it, but geez, that, that game, you thought, wow, what heroics. And as you mentioned, so perfect that shortened season because you, you knew they were going to be healthy. You knew they were going to be able to make that run. And that's why you thought they had plenty left in the tank to take it. But the truth is the king came, brought it home. And at that yeah, point, he, the image of LeBron was so much different, Nick, wasn't it? It's like day yeah. and night from today. Day and night. And I, I'm not going to get into today, but yeah, it was day and night. <laughs> I mean, he was the he was trying to embrace the villain role and not really doing a really good job of it. But that people forget too that that series, I think Bradley got injured. Correct? Avery was yeah, injured. Avery was shoulder. Uh, injured going into the series. And he was our big was, defender on Wade too. He we was needed, our big defender we on Wade. Him. And there was all that locker room tension between Rondo and Ray and and. Bradley, of course, he's never around drama, but his name was being thrown in there because of the rotations. And I think we forget the series leading up to that Cleveland series. That Philadelphia series was incredible. Rondo, who I'm not a fan of, but he was just tremendous in that Philadelphia series, uh, hitting clutch shots. And, and, uh, yeah, that was a fun run. It reminded me of 2010, maybe a little more unlikely because they were older. Uh, but it was it was fun. It was fun. It came down to Game Seven, baby. Definitely unlikely. I don't think anyone saw the Celtics that late in the run going that far. And I still feel like they should have been in the finals. I really do. Game Five was the memorable one. Game Six was the one we all want to forget in that series. And but that was also the the Let's Go Celtics chant. That's was, where it originated. And now that wasn't enough. <laughs> <laughs> no. Going back to Miami, they couldn't get the second road win they needed in that series. Yep. So yep. let's go back earlier in the season. This was a good one. Magic, Celtics, once again. Brandon Bass switched over the Celtics by this time. That was the end of the Glenn Davis era. And he had a great game against his old team in this one. This was the bar fight game. 27 yes. comeback, running great screens, bringing Avery Bradley over the top, hitting his deep twos. You had Kevin Garnett in this game, and I was watching the highlights. Stepping out from three wide open, stepping inside the arc and hitting a shot from deep two. We would never see that today. And they just kept scrapping together those offensive possessions. Van Gundy kept calling timeouts, kept trying to get some defensive pushback. And the run just never stopped coming. And the Celtics came all the way back down, almost 30. It counts. The Celtics are within two. Howard went down early. He caused some foul trouble. Here is Garnett. Yes, and the game is tied at 76. Davis missing on both. Game tied at 76. Equan Moore has given Boston the lead. 
And that was really a turning point for this team this season. They said they still got it. They can still string together these stops. Kevin Garnett at that time started playing a lot of center rather than power forward. After mm-hmm. He was finally down. accepting the, the center role, at, mm-hmm. at least in, in private. <laughs> that didn't take that didn't take forever. No. And you want to talk about cementing a real player relationship with Doc Rivers. That's, that's when Brandon Bass became somebody that was considered indispensable by him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, at that point, you just knew he was going to end up with the Clippers or wherever Doc yep. went. Yep. You know, Brandon Bass was a, a huge, huge favorite of Doc Rivers. So that favorites, all, too. That cement it. Yeah, yep. my first... And- my first article ever at Celtics blog was saying goodbye to Bass because he really grew a lot here. He was a very, very flawed player in Orlando. And by the time he left here, great, versatile defender, always was reliable with his jump shot. And he became a starter by the end of his time here with the Big 3 team, which is pretty impressive. The yeah, real issue with him was the fact that he wasn't around veterans. And he is such a perfect role player. You know, plug him into a spot start so that your guy gets some rest. Count on him to do the right thing. Never mess up the plays. Don't confuse other young players who have a minor role on the team. He's a consummate, you know, seventh man. You know, I know we always have the six-man award, but he was the perfect seventh man. It's true, and in that game in particular, it was it was a bar fight. It was one of those games where Doc was calling a lot of heavy pick and rolls yeah, and a lot of play calling, games. and a lot of running Avery and Ray off screens, and that was that was vintage Doc, and uh, proved out they won that game. They came back. The bar fight, man, that's iconic now. The most impressive God, performance of the year. Down God, twenty. Fight, man. You're down twenty-seven it's points. Fight, Chris. Yeah, that's probably second to his championship yell at the end. You could always count on a good Kevin Garnett. <laughs> a couple crosses. Yeah. You ever been in the ball fight? Ask Charles. He been in the ball fight. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We're on live TV, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot you was doing the interview. Go ahead. So Spurs Celtics 2008, really the game that proved that year that the Celtics were legit, that they were among the best in this league. The Spurs were one of the unbreakable teams of the 2000s, and the Celtics went out there and really took control of that game early. Nick, I know this was one in particular you really remember from that season. I think that was a that KG was injured, right? Yeah, KG had the injury. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just it was one of those. Proven moments to make a point with KG out, big baby Davis starting the rookie and going against the uh, the defending champions. Uh, it was one of those moment aha moments where he said, "Yeah, these guys have it. They have it." And I just particularly that one stands in my mind. Well, let me just add to that. It kind of reminds me of a couple of seasons ago, uh, ago when the Celtics made that first run against Golden State and almost stole that game yeah. because point. you didn't really know where that team was. I don't I can't even remember if Isaiah was fully entrenched in the starting lineup yet if you remember that season. It wasn't, I don't think. With market right. And then all of a sudden it's like they give Golden State a run, and we thought, wait a second, this is supposed to be one of the worst teams in the league. They finished strong last year. Let's see if they can, you know, continue that, or if it was sort of a, you know, motivated by the trade at the deadline for Isaiah. And yeah, they had good heart, but let's see him do it for a season. When they kind of shook Golden State, it was a precursor to the win they'd get later in the year. But that's when you kind of knew that they had truly arrived, and we still didn't know what to make. Every writer was telling us that the big three area era wasn't going to work. It's too many egos and they'll never do it in the first year and even Bob Ryan is Bob Ryan saying it wouldn't happen until year two or three they thought and here they were that 
game, to your point, Nick, was the game that said, wait a second, this might actually happen this year. Yeah. Yeah. Another Aha good, moment. Another good game early in the Big Three era. Well, not particularly early, sort of in the middle of the Big Three era when that uh, Heat team was starting to come together, really build toward something that threatened the Celtics and knocked them off the throne in the East. That game with the Rondo alley-oop, probably one of the Ugh. great play calls of this is Doc. The Doc era, this is absolutely. Doc and finest, what yeah. I remember about this play in particular, and I'll let you run away with the Rondo play, Nick, is Wade before the play, stealing the ball at 99-99, rushing through. This was in Miami, and him just slamming all over everybody at the other end and taking the lead at that point. Into Ray Allen. Wade with the steal for the game. Wade was a killer. <laughs> for the whole time that Celtics era, the Dark Rivers era, Wade was a guy I was scared of more than anyone. In fact, this was the year where I really was like, all right, fine, he's not that big of a deal anymore. Like, it took all the way up until this year for that to leave my mind. <laughs> and that game, again, was a point where I was yeah. like, well, wait, hold on, Bobby. Settle down, because the first game the Celtics played yeah, the three. this year, Dwayne Wade was actually hitting three-pointers. Three. Yeah. <laughs> And the one thing I'll also say about that is everything is true about that except for one moment that made the Celtics fan believe that Avery Bradley was indispensable when he just stuffed him at the rim. And then we were like, like, victory! But, you know, Bradley has had has always been a good one-on-one defender. Obviously, we talked about him. We'll miss him this coming season. But... I, I would say that Dwayne Wade more than more often than not, to your point, Bobby, got the better of the Celtics regardless of Avery's defense. Yeah, in was, this game, in was, this game, yeah, and it was um, Allen on the ball. Wade took it from him, and then the whole Heat team celebrating like they won this game. They're all coming yes. out on the court, grabbing Wade. The Celtics are running their huddle, and what was the play? Yeah, you, you try an alley oop here. It's just a beautiful. It was a play they had run before, and and they run since too, afterwards. But it was that beautiful, and I say it was Doc at his finest, but it was also Rondo at his finest. That pass, I mean, you want to talk about putting it right in the hands and in the rim, um, from what? How many feet away is that? Fifty feet away? Forty feet away? I mean, it's at the baseline almost. Yeah. Uh, an incredible play. Yeah. You you immediately you thought the game was over. So it was one of those games where, you know, you were kind of a little bit agitated and then this happens and you are screaming at the TV in your living room because you're so excited. Pierce looking. Toronto tie game. Doc at his best. Wow. From agitated yeah. to adulated, no doubt. There you go. There and- and, you know, it, I, the other thing that's so crazy about that is why aren't you defending that? It's the only option. <laughs> the I mean, only that's option. so crazy. It's like it, there were there were moments like that that led us to believe that Doc Rivers was the most amazing coach ever. Out of it is. Amazing. It's like, who's he yeah. coaching against? And, listen, that's the only option. Like, <laughs> how many? put everybody in front of the rim and, like, defend the Hail Mary. Like, how are you not? See that it's almost it is it is worse, but it's up there with, uh, you know, Ray Allen fading in the corner. How I used to come on your call into your show, Justin, and say, 
Just looking at it from the opposite perspective. How is he open? He's the best shooter in the league. You know, I mean, it was. uh, I don't. It was one of those things that that to be the guy that you throw the alley oop to at the rim, and the guy guarding him, I forget who it was, was so caught off guard. He's turning around, chasing Rondo to the rim. He gets (laughs) there the last second. It's way too late. It was the pass from Paul Pierce. Paul Pierce to Rondo was just right into Rondo's hands, and it was beautiful. And And it was uh, before his time. Good facilitating small forward. I mean, that wasn't a big deal back then, like you said earlier in the show, and he certainly wasn't a guy you wanted doing it all the time like he was in 2013 after Ronda went down. But in spurts, great, great passer, especially with all the pressure he commanded on the ball. And no It was game- all those years yeah. with no help where the yeah. offense completely ran through him, and much of that was Doc Rivers, right? Because <laughs> Doc's like, first off, Doc was the hardest person on point guards, and second off, they didn't have any. <laughs> and they were always looking for one, and they were trying out guys like J.R. Bremer and all this craziness. J.R. Bremer. How are we going to satisfy the, the point guard scenario? And even Rondo obviously struggled to, uh, to, to meet Doc Rivers' expectations at that position. But we knew he was a point guard killer, and so all of those years when nobody was around to help Paul, the, the very bottom of the bottom, that all led to what you just said, his passing ability, all those, all those uh, uh, away from the ball, the non-shooting contributions. And, you know, yeah, he, he kicked up his defense in the big three era a little bit because he was relied upon so much in the offense, but partly mostly because he had to facilitate it yeah. every night, night in and yeah. night out. That play, and I had it backwards, but that play had been run so so many times, Rondo to KG, and this was Pierce to Rondo, which is correct, which is the, I think, the intelligence of, of Do- or the brilliance of the play with Doc Rivers having send your point guard. But with those long arms and big hands, there was no way he was missing that oop if he was even close to being open. And the the pass from Paul was perfect. Yeah, perfect. And another good passing game I remember from Pierce was Game 4, 2010 Finals, Lakers-Celtics back at the Garden. And this was another big swing game in this era. And they really were great at taking those swing games in the series, whether they Mm. won it or not. In the middle of these series, they were really able to take control. They did it in 08-2. This series, they ultimately didn't win, but... This was very memorable. This is the Glenn Davis, Nate Robinson yeah. game. And in the that Shrek era, and Donkey, is that what it was? Yep, the Shrek and Donkey game. And on the side, Rashid Wallace. What a thing of beauty that three. was. Yeah. It was like Dumb and Dumber, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that and the nice. Only, only Stephen Marbury could have made that moment better. <laughs> he made the list. He made the list. I yes, know he's he on the list. I'm setting it up. You're setting it up, baby. <laughs> That's how I do. I'm a pro. That's how you do. <laughs> you, you trained us all, Justin. That's right. <laughs> We're going to pivot there in that. one second, but Glenn Davis in this game. <laughs> really, the big thing about Glenn Davis is him being big. And in this game, he was one of the guys who really turned this into a physical bloodbath of a game. There were guys all over on the ground wrestling for loose balls, beating each other up on the ground, inside the paint. And more often than not, Davis won those battles in this game. There were a few great runs of passing between Gasol, between Odom. Kobe had a monster third quarter in this game. But then Pierce just starts swinging it on the drives to Nate Robinson. He starts hitting his threes. Davis gets those putbacks, bumping inside.
And they pull away by five at the end of this game and won what looked to be a huge swing game early in this series. After an awful game three, if you remember, in that series, they got game, destroyed in game three. That was three the Derek Fisher the game? Lakers. Game yeah. three? Mm-hmm. And the game where Ray Allen was just nothing after he broke yeah. the finals record for three-point shooting early in that series. Yep. Justin, you did, did you cover those games in 10? I think I did. I think it... Uh, um, I think I remember did, Duke being at one. No, 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 I didn't. I had moved to Pennsylvania. I think Duke went to a game or two. If I, I moved to Pennsylvania late '09, right in the, the the very beginning of that season. So no, I didn't. You're right. Duke went. Duke went. Yeah, yeah that was. I mean that that is my favorite. I think if I was to listen to Celtics beat this week, that's my favorite run. I mean, obviously 08 has its memories, but that 2010 team was so bad down the stretch. And just turn, I mean, we used to hear that all the time, right, guys? Can Doc get them to flip the switch? Can Doc get them to flip the switch? Well, that year, everybody from Sheed to KG, who was hobbling, um, just flipped the switch. And they were incredible. And and unfortunately, it came down to an injury uh, to Perkins. And uh, they ended up some poor officiating. And Game 7 went to uh, to L.A. And as always, they just didn't rebound to this day. No. I always say my whole Celtics life, they just haven't rebounded. It's just that. Which is funny. Hey, hold on. When that crosses over multiple coaches, do we do we really blame the coach at that point, (laughs) or or do we look at the front office and say say, there's an analytics thing at play here, and they're going to sacrifice rebounds? I understand they've never been a big team. I understand that you know maybe the personnel. It's not like they went out and got a Dikembe Mutombo or a shot blocker rebounder, but but maybe that's by design. You know, you look at the way the Patriots build their team; they find value. They were the first team to not spend a lot of money on a running back. Maybe this is the NBA version of that. Yeah, this is the first club to not spend a lot of money on and a base. shot blocker, right? Yeah. I think it's well. First of all, it's ironic because it's the, the the franchise that spawned the original shot blocking rebounder with Bill Russell, but uh, I do think it's by design Justin because you're now through two coaches 10 years or longer 10 years 10 years and Doc yeah Danny Ainge just it's never really been he (laughs) says it's a priority but it's never been a priority now Bobby when I was when we were your age he just said basically his whole life he just said (laughs) I don't remember the Celtics in my lifetime rebounding I don't remember a single season even the 08 team (laughs) well the 08 team was struggled on the offensive boards I think at least used to be very frustrating and the Celtics when I was your age Bobby they were the dynamite rebounders they used to dominate the boards with the big three and uh, it would be frustrating to watch but as long as the score was in the Celtics favor at the end we all we all kind of dealt with it I'd listen to Justin and John you know, complain about it, but uh, the win's a win. You had to lament it when you watch the other team get three or four extra possessions. (laughs) I mean, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, when they get the ball back and you're not going the other way, it's like, okay, one offensive rebound, we can suffer that fool for a little bit, but when you start talking the second, the third, it's like, what is this possession going to end? How many times would we watch the Celtics play tremendous defense, run the shot clock down, the opposing team would yank up a nonsense BS shot because there was no good shot and then get the offensive board. And yep. you could hear a collective 
slap on your couch all across New England because everybody be so annoyed. And Pennsylvania and it, for and me. It wears, and it wears down the team. They yeah, get exhausted. They really get worn out. And, and they get defeated. I mean, the mentality of that is very defeating. So if there was one way to put that any Celtics club over, you know, really the Brad Stevens or Doc Rivers era, if there was any way to make them want to say uncle, that was how you did it. Mm-hmm. It was it was just go grab the rebounds and just beat them up a little bit. And and really that's a hustle thing. So as they beget, as they would get more it's defeated, the thing too. it works. Right. But but with their personnel, they would have to yeah. mm-hmm. And then they would just like just just put it in the hoop. Yep. Right? And then they would miss one that was wide open and still get the offensive rebound. And you could just see the team like we're giving you the <sighs> damn it. <laughs> this one. Just put it in there. Put us out of misery and let yep. us go on offense and try to get a spark. And honestly, yep. that's all that re- we're talking about 2010s, though. That's all that really worked for the Lakers in that game seven. They were a mess all across the team offensively in that game. And the only reason they were able to keep in it as good as the Celtics were playing early was those rebounds. That front line of Odom, Gasol, Bynum. Well, was and you had powerful. Sheed, who was so out of shape. I mean, he played yeah. okay for having to, to step in. I mean, in that playoff run he did flip the switch but by game seven against la he looked gassed. so gassed and he had the bad back and he wasn't ready to step into perkins shoes and and that was that and then don't, then we lost marquise daniels too don't forget he seemed to get injured every game every big game marquise would get a concussion or something he was always injured he was tinfoil <laughs> <laughs> so 2009 we're gonna go back to the magic yet again we got game yep. four and game five on here of course this is the season where we lost in this series, another great pair of swing games where they just couldn't finish out at the very end. And the Magic ended up in the finals, which wasn't good for anybody. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, true. Game yeah, four, I mean, you had the Marbury. I mean, no, game four was the Glenn Davis game, pushing the kid on the sideline after the game winner. And game five, you have the Marbury game, as you talk about. Just a great pair of wins. And the Celtics, again, how many times did they do it? Go up 3-2 and blow it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for, again, frustrating. No KG. Yeah, face palm. Uh, no, no KG. Big baby steps up. Pierce, guarded by Lewis, gets the screen. It's Davis taking the shot. Scores! He scores at the buzzer. They'll review it. It appears he got it off. And the Celtics have defeated the Magic. And then not barrels over some kid, which was unintentional, but it was typical big baby. Yeah. That Marbury game, I remember, Justin, uh, you probably remember too, all season long, uh, since they picked up Marbury, is kind of like that mid-season help. Doc and Danny saying he's going to win a game for us. He's going to win a game for us. He's going to win a game for us. He did nothing. And then that that game five, I think it was, at the Garden, he just went off. And uh, it was the Garden went crazy. Everybody was happy for him. And it was a fun game, and that was that was a doc thing. He's going to win a game for us, so it was good to see. <laughs> and Justin, as much I remember, as I, I want to ask oh, go you, ahead. those Magic teams, they didn't beat the Celtics at first until they got to 0-9, but they were always frustrating. Great shooting all around the powerful center. It was really a strangely built team. We haven't seen one quite like it in this era, at least, or in that era. Kind of the middle. I'd have to say during that era that the Celtics always, for the most part, besides 09, got the best of them. 2010, the Celtics just punked everybody. Yeah. And and the Magic were part of that that whole steamroll. 
And Rondo just loved driving Jameer Nelson crazy. And it was just the right. Garnett used to, and Perkins, Justin, remember? But Perkins used to drive Dwight Howard nuts mm-hmm. just by, you know, four inches shorter, but he just beat the hell out of him. And, he would and, muscle him. You'd see Dwight set up just inside the key, and, and Perkins would just come over and push him away from the basket and push him away from the basket. And, and you know, Dwight. I know everybody kind of touted him as a great, as a good shooter or solid, but he really wasn't. No. And, and, and especially if you could get him sort of pushed in back his head. on his heels and a in little his head. bit. Yeah. And then Perkins would just, he didn't really have his hand up all that real much in Dwight's face, but Dwight was not in the position he wanted to be to, to shoot that. You're right. Uh, Perkins was our Dwight Howard killer. Stop we loved it. Him. Now, yep. now Dwight would still get his points, but the fact that he was minimized a little bit and even rebounding to some degree, mm-hmm. you know, you expected Dwight to get a lot more like he was, he was going off for 17 to 21 rebounds a game at that time. Right. And we would usually hold him to under 14, which was a win right. with Dwight Howard of, of that era. Jameer Nelson was a fun player to watch. Mm-hmm. I will say as much as you might remember that Stefan Marbury, um, you know, game, the thing that I remember the most about Stefan Marbury was after that, when he started Vassal- doing, no, I the, the live video with the Vaseline, right? And you just like follow around, and he was he was all about the the first sort of. It wasn't Facebook Live. I can't even remember the app he they was, used to do. But was, he just uh, had his phone. He was following. You'd follow him around, and I'm pretty sure you'd just go to Twitter, find the feed, and and watch him. But the dude, the dude was crazy. Yeah, then right. he lost his mind. He Face. ate a jar of Vaseline on camera. Remember? <laughs> and, and and everybody kind of. He never got another job. I think he went to, back to China and played or something. Which, <laughs> by the way, erected a statue to him, so he got something right over there. Yes. But yeah. We're gonna swing ahead. He flipped the switch. He's just gonna go. He's gonna go become the greatest player ever to play a giant. Yeah. <laughs> he was always intent on doing that. Yep. So 2013, this was the moment in this season where you and there were a lot of moments throughout this era where the team really came together despite their age, despite some of the bumps and bruises in the road. And this was the year where they lost Rondo, as we said before. And he didn't play in this game. It was the Heat Celtics game, the year after the loss to the Heat in twenty twelve. Ray Allen changes teams oh. infamously. And this was his return. He goes over the bench. He had the mixed reaction in the crowd. He tries to greet KG, and KG just blows him off, which pretty much filled the newsreels for the week following that. Kind of a uh, cold reception from who just hit me on his shoulder. That's KG, though, right? But this was a great game beyond that. Double overtime, Jeff Green. Mm-hmm. That game was so much fun because we just hated the Heat. Mm-hmm. And think about all the controversy of trading Kendrick Perkins for Jeff Green, and then he goes off. And no, that was him. a tough, tough Heat team that year. I mean, even in the finals against a very good Spurs team, the Spurs just couldn't shut them down at the very end. They had so much shooting on the bench. Uh, Ray Allen really brought a great element to that team, even though he had ups and downs that year. But they were able to knock down a three on you all the time. Even LeBron himself had a great three-point shooting year that year, I remember. And that game just kept going and going and going. And there were so many big shots down the stretch. Pierce put them up initially in double overtime there toward the end. And... It was it was just a classic game, and I believe they maybe had one more run in them, which of course they didn't. 
They didn't. Pierce was, uh, you're always the eternal optimist. The only one in New England, Bobby. Everybody else is a cliff jump. <laughs> the only one always rooting. But Pierce was exceptional in that game, if I remember. And I think it was like a low-grade triple-double he had, if I remember. Probably. It was like very, yeah. It was what, is, like, what is a low-grade triple-double? It's like, it's like where you sneak it in. It's like 16, 10, and 10, 11. It's like, I thought you were going to give me like a hockey number, like 10 and no. a half assists. Yeah, nine, and a half, nine and a half assists will round it up. But, you know, it was a double I mean, Paul was just great. Double overtime game. KG stepped it up. I think KG hit a big shot uh, down the stretch. Fun game. Fun. And then, of course, Ray, the mixed reaction from the crowd. I don't, that was a big, big debate. Will Ray get booed? Uh, which he did, I think, a little bit. Did we get back to the Ray Allen thing? I keep looking at Justin because I'm waiting. Nick just loves I do Ray. love Ray. Ray was, hey, you know, I'll, he I'll was my man. Well, great triple-double, 17, 13, and 10. <laughs> There, you, there go. you go, man. Okay. How, what was it? 17? 13 and 10. Uh, uh, yeah, and in two overtimes, so that's a, really a low-grade triple-double. All right, I'll give you that. He's got extra time. Okay. <laughs> low-grade because low it wasn't in regulation. There you go. But, uh, yeah, Paul was great, and uh, it was really one of those games where it was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Great coaching by Doc, great play calling down the end. And KG, who, if I remember, I think he was kind of – held back through most of that game he was huge in in the fourth quarter and then overtime and then of course jeff green and i i this is gonna be the first time in my life i do the oh back in my day but uh <laughs> back in that hey, it era won't, it won't be the last no it won't <laughs> back in that era there were more back and forth games like that down the stretch in the double especially in the playoffs and comebacks too and yeah, less three. three that was that was the year of pride. It was yeah. the year of pride. They knew what was coming, and yeah. they 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 played with pride. That's they that's did. how that season went. They did. But so, I agree though, Bobby. There were less threes, less misses, less possessions, less opportunity to have. Yeah, and you were able to work out possession by possession back then. Yeah. I mean, there weren't as many like killer that. threes that cut the comebacks off. And I sound like an old man now, but I miss that. I like that brand of basketball better than what chucking up threes nonstop. It frustrates me to no end. Yeah, and we're going to see if it ever does swing back the other way to interior game. We've had debates about that again it and will. again. And, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a little optimistic because I think we're starting to see some transcendent bigs come back into the game and mm-hmm. doing in this next draft, but we'll talk about that another day. <laughs> One game left on here, the 24-point comeback against the Lakers ah, in the, the 2008 best. Finals. We, yep, we saved the best for last. They don't win this series without this. This puts them I'm, up commanding 3-1. to one. It was the road win you really need in the finals, especially back in the 2-3-2 two, two days. If you don't get a road win, you're not winning that series. And they did it here. They were down 24. They pushed back possession by possession, like I said. It was a team that really made the most of possessions, even being down as large as they were in some of these games, 24-27 against the Magic, and doing it on the road so far away in L.A. Big, big Mental. I'm going to be quiet and let just Justin talk about this one because this is his series, man. Well, it was, I mean, I, I don't even know where you go. Like, how how do you dig out on the road in L.A. like that? I just, the grit. I don't know what other word to use. I'm not even going to go into the details of the game because, obviously, so many big shots, so many big plays. But just seriously, how do you have that kind of grit when the game really should have been lost, right? I mean, right. this thing was so far out of hand, and then for them to just dig so deep and have 
have that grit. And you know there was nobody who, I mean, we talk about a pride year. I mean, this was this didn't need to be a pride year. This was kind of, you know, nobody would have faulted them if they had lost that game and then the Sleary's had slipped away. There would have been the whole there's always next year. And that's why I give them so much credit for grit because mm-hmm. they're like, no, we're not we are not going down like this. We are absolutely not. And then to climb back in and win it. I mean, you know, it's unfortunate because it's one of those games I wish I was in attendance for. Mm-hmm. I, I tend to remember, well, first of all, Paul Pierce playing at home was incredible. I remember that. Bobby, you may have to check this, but I think Doc sat Rondo for much of that game and went with a very uh, – uh, seldom used. I mean, it was a couple games where you didn't hear it all from Eddie House. He ended up getting playing time. I think Cassell got playing time. I think Rondo Posey sat. Too. Posey too. So, you know, that's another big move from Doc. And I think Rondo might have been fighting a bit of an ankle injury, but knowing Rondo, he would have wanted to play anyway. Is that's that another... when Leon Powell got his first, like, substantial opportunity in that series? Did Doc that throw series. him in when they were they down? Deep in yeah, because I feel like in that, really I mean, I know they the went floor. to him a few times, but again, he was a younger player. And, Do- and and again, I don't, you know, it wasn't the big game that he had in that series, I don't believe. I think that was game but five. I think. I think it was the next game, right? The mm-hmm. next game he came out on. Leon Florida. Powell. Powell, right. That's when <laughs> Phil Jackson this game like, was Powell. dominated by those sets of House, Allen, Pierce, Posey, Garnett, and they really spread the floor open. The Lakers try to counter with some of the guys off their bench. Like but no Rondo. But yeah, not a lot of Rondo in this game, and they won the shooting battle. Yeah. They really did. They were better shooters. Yeah. That was a better shooter. The Lakers were favored in that series, and Justin, you could talk more to this, I think more because of the fact that the Celtics played such a a terrible first and second round, plus the ES. The no, they went, they went seven in their first series. Right. I mean, that was the biggest thing. Was they everybody looked at it and said, "Geez, you almost lost in the first round. Like you've looked <laughs> like this awesome sixty-plus win team, and now here you are, and you're going seven games." I want to ask you guys one thing. So. Justin in particular, because Bobby, I don't know if you were born yet, but 2010, <laughs> 2010 game six versus the Cavs, did LeBron just quit? We're talking 2010, I guess. Yeah. Well, before he left, before the decision. Yeah, he pretty much knew he was leaving. I think he elbow. I was at that game. It was well, uh, the MSG. We'll pull this back to now. Because we did have that report we talked about at the very beginning of the show where we'll see if it's true or not. LeBron yeah, I'm just seems, trying to tie it all together. Yeah, LeBron seems intent on leaving after this season. And what I ask is, is the focus going to be there if he looks ahead and sees the door at the end of the season no matter what uh, happens? Justin and John had a great conversation about this on Celtic Stuff Live this week. And, you know, I think John had brought – one of you guys had brought it up about, you know, is it one of those moments where LeBron, like in 2010, already has one foot out the door and they get into a series with the Celtics and just like in 2010, he throws his hands up in the air. Uh, you guys discussed that this week, Justin. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think this this thing's a train wreck. I mean, it's already at that point. It's bad. And- 
It is, and I think a lot of the Adrian Wojnarowski had an awesome article this week about it, just talking about the position that the Cavs are in. They've already, I mean, he's basically said that the team is already at a point where they realize that they can't sacrifice Kyrie Irving for nothing just to satisfy LeBron because ultimately they won't get what they need in return to keep LeBron. So, yeah, absolutely. If they get pennies on the dollar or pieces for the future and LeBron's in the postseason trying to carry this team and it just doesn't happen and the Celtics look poised to really take advantage of that you're absolutely right I think I think LeBron's already got one foot out the door oh, he mean, he, he's not really great at keeping quiet when they got rid of David Griffin <laughs> huge mistake right like he'll you, leak stuff out he doesn't landslide. care to let everything you know. was fine before absolutely. that yep and, yeah, and I, there was the LeBron don't think LeBron didn't orchestrate that. And the, the other thing, too, is... Don't yeah, think... That, hold on. One other thing. Don't think LeBron isn't thinking major market to close out his career. Of course that's what he's thinking. Because right? it's yeah. his last... I mean, listen. Nobody is going to do what Jordan did post-career ever again. No. no. Or Magic, for that matter. There's or Magic. Gonna be, right. Or Magic. But there there's not going to be, you know, the LeBrons. There's not going to mm-hmm. be a sneaker... That goes out and rolls the way that the Jordans have held on, right? right? They're still selling those. That's not going to, that is an institution. LeBron's not going to compete with that. Will he still have prominence? Will he still have a play? Yeah, of course. He'll still make money. He'll still be long. Like, you know, they'll see LeBron until the day he dies around this sport for sure. But will he make money? The way that LeBron did off, I mean, the way that Jordan did off endorsements and whatnot. No, and I think this is his last real cash out. And especially if he goes to L.A. and then all of a sudden the Golden State Warriors and the Spurs and the Lakers are all battling, it raises his profile. He he's got to be feeling like in the Eastern Conference, you know, everybody is just waiting for us to get to the finals and see what we can do. Yeah. And you know, they want that regular season hype. And I'll say this, too, about this whole situation. It's not 2010 where it was really bad in Cleveland. You look at the team then, you look at no, the dude, team now. No, I don't want to hear bad. that. Wait a minute. Wait. A minute. Cleveland in 2010 had 62 wins. They had still a semi-good semi Shaquille O'Neal. Everybody's going to laugh because he was a turd, as you guys like to put it. But Mo yeah. Williams made the, the All-Star game, I think, that year. He did one of those years in there. They had... They had uh, Verizhou, they had a 60-win team. I don't want to hear, and I'm still arguing this, eight years, seven years later. <laughs> I do not want to hear. LeBron James was a goof. He was playing bowling. Remember, Justin, they used to play bowling and pretend the other guys on the team were the blown bowling pins. Everything oh, yeah. was a joke. It was a foregone conclusion that Cleveland was going to march to the finals, and the Celtics shocked them and, and LeBron gave up and that that was that but don't say that team was bad they were not and, I, and I'll get beat up on Celtics blog for this I'm sure or on on, they they weren't good like the teams of today or good with all the loaded talent no, but, but, if you, but hold on better. if you take it in context did he have a supporting cast no but that was when he knew I I'm mean a supporting yeah, so you gotta have multiple that, superstars. You gotta got you, and that was now the beginning of that. The now because of what the Celtics did, which is why he was frustrated. Right. And if he did give up, he gave up because he realized that there was no way he was going to be able to do it without, to Bobby's point, another superstar. Mm-hmm. You know, without a Kevin Love, without a Kyrie Irving, they had Ray Allen, 
They had Paul Pierce. They had Kevin Garnett versus the best man in basketball in the right. universe. Right. And he could not will that team to that victory. And that is if I give up, maybe maybe more like had a realization. Remember, he took off his jersey at the end of the game. It was like through the jersey. Don't forget, guys, yeah. he changed his number at the beginning of the season because Miami had already retired 23. Then he goes back to Cleveland and takes 23 again. I mean, come on. He was talking. Him and Pat Riley were having late-night text sessions. They were talking all season long, and that's conspiracy theory. But I'll put my stamp on that. I believe that's true. If they didn't talk directly. They it's talked through somebody who's allowed doubt. to talk, and that's not really a hard thing yeah. to do. No, right. Not at all. And, you know, we saw it ourselves with the Celtics now. We know there was something there with Hayward all along, and it came to fruition. But stuff happens. So well, I will tell show. you this. Wait, before you cut, I will tell you this. Chris Sheridan broke the LeBron heavy rumors yep. in 2010. Again, when he left Miami for Cleveland, and he did it again tonight. Well, we already ha- it's August, and we already have this. I mean, what does that say about this? It is going to be a circus. Even here. It's great, great news great for the Celtics. Show. Great news for the Celtics. Great news for Hayward. And, you know, who, who knows? Shock the world, baby. Shock the world. And we'll keep an eye on Irving because that still is a big deal with what happens with him. If those big three are back, it's still going to be tough. No matter what happens. Well, let me ask you but... this. If Kyrie, if, if LeBron, which we already knew he wanted the trade, but now it's public. He wants the trade. Does Kyrie stick around and hope to have the team with Kevin Love to himself? I mean, he wants more touches, right? He wants control of the team. Well, that's He's the done. ideal so, situation for the Cavs. But I also over. don't think you can trade LeBron. It's tough because if, if you know LeBron's leaving, you want to hand the team off to Kyrie next. But that's going to be tough with the situation no, they have right they now. They are already done him dirty. Irving is gone. It doesn't, they do that. And then he just thinks they're a bunch of babies, right? <laughs> they think he thinks they don't have any balls, well, that's even though, they, even though everybody LeBron. else, I know, but every, that's what I'm saying. But even then he still thinks he's like, no. So now you guys don't, you know, you got no cojones. He won't right. respect them if they do that. It, it, you're right. It's what needed to happen. It's probably what should have happened, but it won't keep Kyrie Irving in town either. They're, they're, they've got a world of crap to deal with. They're, they're, they're probably best off keeping LeBron, gutting the rest of the team, and, and making LeBron deal with the mess that he just created. Right? That's what that I would I would be like, you know what? You're leaving anyway, dude. We're going to move deal on. And I'll close off with this. Why, yeah. why did he sign a two-year deal? I mean, he did the ones for so long, and now that's just really holding him well, that's up now. the That's really the two-year deal is the way that everybody's going now. I mean, yeah. Because they, they're able to then touch on that last max contract. And, again, I'm not going to – this is a, a, a vidcast topic, about, yeah. about Doc Rivers. I'm not going to get into to LeBron and how well, he's that, kind of that denigrated shows us the league, how but. We just got caught up in the Doc Rivers era again. LeBron obsession every single day. That's how you suckered me in. into 20 minutes, turn it into an hour. I see what you did there. You know what I did. I'm always, I'm always Sorry, pulling. You know you're busy with your day job, but we're just going to – it'll be 20 minutes. It won't take any – it's been an 15. hour. I'm Bobby Manning, that's Nick Gelso, and Justin Poulin. You can hear us all on the CLNS Media app. Celtic Stuff Live, Nick was on Celtics Beat talking about 08, as we've done this week. What else would we do? And uh, 
Find us on Celtics Blog. This week is History Week. That's why we did this. Lots of great stories from lots of people who lived through many eras of Celtics basketball. So we're all reminiscing over there about the eras of years past. And then we're going to talk about the Cavaliers. We're going to talk about the players on the Celtics this year, profiling all of them. We're going to do that here on the Banners broadcast as we now finally start to count down the days until training camp Thursday. The show, the day this is coming out, two months to the day of opening day. They keep the calendar wow. tight. It spins around real fast, and that's how we love it around here. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks, Justin. Reunion Arena in Dallas, where the Mavs and Lakers are playing tonight, was built in 1980. Now, you couldn't ask for a better facility. It's easily accessible, has all the comforts of a theater, and there isn't a bad seat in the house. But for some reason, there are those who prefer the Boston Garden mostly those who wear Celtic green. What is so special about the Boston Garden other than the fact that it's a thousand years old? Let's take a look. <laughs> 